happy Tuesday, everyone. My name is Casey, if we haven't met yet, um, and I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I'm really, 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 really excited to get to share with you tonight. Um, Pastor Derek, this always, I always never know how to wear this, right? I'm so sorry. You're going to hear my breathing, and it's going to be annoying. Um, but Pastor Derek is in Missouri, um, unfortunately. Um, he is at a training. If you guys didn't know, he is now the state director of Chi Alpha. So he's still a director of UNI, but he's also in charge of all the Chi Alphas in our state, which is super exciting. And so he's at a training this week to meet with our national leaders um, and to just share his heart about the state of Iowa and how he wants to reach all of the campuses in our state. So that's really cool and super exciting, but we miss him dearly. Um, but I have the what? pleasure and privilege of preaching tonight, um, and I couldn't be more excited. So Tonight, we are diving back into our Becoming series. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Derek, no, Pastor Victor, started off our series with Know God, um, who he is and how we can grow and um, develop deep intimacy with him. And then the week after that, Pastor Derek showed what it means to know self and how to understand where we've come from and who God is creating us to be. And so I get to continue tonight with part three, one of my favorite topics in the world, find friendship. So tonight, we're going to be looking at one of the coolest examples of friendship in Scripture, and that's the friendship between David and Jonathan. So these two were an unlikely pair from the beginning. Jonathan came from royalty. His dad was the king of Israel, while David was a shepherd boy. His dad was also a shepherd, and he took care of his dad's sheep. And leading up to the time that these two became friends, there was this battle going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. And David was not a soldier, but his three older brothers were, and he went to the battlefield to go bring his brothers some food and to hopefully bring back good news to his family about what was going on at the battlegrounds. But unfortunately, when David got there, he found out about Goliath, which is a story that I'm sure many of us have heard before. But Goliath was essentially this big old Philistine that nobody wanted to fight, but David, a shepherd boy, stepped up to fight and he won using some rocks and a slingshot and defeated Goliath um, with something as simple as a rock. And him defeating Goliath won this battle over the Philistines. Now, we don't know exactly when David and Jonathan met, but we do see in Scripture when David and Jonathan became friends. And this is right after King Saul, Jonathan's dad, learned who David is. So we're going to be jumping around for Samuel to look at the friendship that these two had, but we're going to start in chapter 18 when these two first became friends. So this is 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much, God. We're so thankful um, for this opportunity to just worship together and come to know you and your character a little bit more, God. And um, Lord, we just pray tonight for everything that you have in store for us, for what friendship could look like inside of this community and just this beautiful design um, that you've laid out in front of us for what real friendship looks like within um, the context of the people in this room, Lord. And so we just thank you for everything you have in store for us, and I pray that you would just speak through me tonight. In your name, amen. Sorry. <clears throat> I am sweating up here. I'm not going to lie to you guys. It is very warm in here. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> when I think about my friendships um, and relationships that I've got to have with people over the years, someone who always sticks out to me is my dear, sweet friend, Lexi. If you don't know Lexi, she's married to Pastor Victor, who's the guy up here playing guitar. Um, but way before they were married, she was my friend first. 
I loved her first. So we became friends back in 2017. It was her freshman year and my sophomore year. And I have a picture of us from back then. I hope, oh no, I forgot to send it to Amber. Oh, no, it's there, it's there. We're good, we're good, everybody. That's my bad. But I don't know if you can see us little babies back there. Oh, we're so cute. That was actually at Fall Retreat, Lexi's freshman year. So the Fall Retreat just happened if you didn't know. That's super exciting and super sweet, and I love her so much. Anyway, Lexi and I became best friends almost instantly, and we got mistaken for sisters on the regular. I think it's probably just because we have blonde hair and glasses. Like, our actual faces don't really look that much alike, but hey, I'll take it. She's beautiful. And I have so many memories with Lexi all throughout my time in college. Random adventures that we had from going on walks in the rain late at night to spontaneous trips across the state to get steak and shake, the late night cry sessions, eating buffalo chicken dip once a week as our actual meal. You know, classics. And I even talked her into breaking her housing contract with you and I to come and live with me and also six other people the following year. And uh, it was the best. It was awesome. And I was super thankful that she broke her contract and paid a lot of money. Thank you, Lexi, you're the best. Um, but also, maybe living in that house with seven girls wasn't super, like, technically legal. Um, on, like, technical terms, it wasn't legal. Um, but there was, like, a room for each of us. Everyone got their own room, except me and Lexi shared a room because we had this, like, giant basement that was just where we slept for some reason. And technically speaking, technically, only four out of the six of us lived there because they, we, some of us weren't on the lease. So anyway, because none of us technically lived there, we would get really scared whenever we'd have to put in a maintenance report and I had to fill out like, you know, like those things that are like, hey, come fix this thing. And every time we got so, so scared that they were going to kick us out when they found out that we had way too many people living there. And one day we got randomly notified that they were coming to do like an inspection like that day. And that was terrifying. Instantly, we went into an absolute panic. Lexi and I began to flip our room to make it look like we didn't have two people living there, um, which we clearly did. And we started putting things in closets and like hiding our nightstands. And we had one major problem is that we both had beds. And one person does not need two beds. So Lexi was very quick to sacrifice and offered to move her bed out of the house. So we called our friend about a truck and we're like, hey, can you bring your truck over right now? We need to put Lexi's bed and bed frame in it because this guy's coming over and he's going to kick us out and we're going to get in trouble and it's not going to be okay. And any other evidence we could find that both of us lived in that room. And we moved it outside and he took it for the day and it was great. And it was the most chaotic day of us living together. And I honestly don't even think the people who came to do the inspection even looked in our room, which stupid. Um, but hey, we got to keep living together. So that was awesome. And that was a win for me. Um, and we had so, so much fun in our time in college together. Even when we were doing not the smartest things, we made memories. And that was what was important. We leaned on each other and we were there for each other and we pushed each other closer to Jesus. We were real with one another. And she still is someone that I know that I can always count on. Have you guys ever actually sat and just thought about friendships? maybe specifically your friendships? Have you ever viewed your friendships as part of your faith? Or do you view your friendships and your community as something outside of your relationship with Jesus? All of us have some experience with friendships, right? Whether it was friends we made in high school, whether it's friends from sports or through shared hobbies, or maybe even people that just lived close to us. It's easy to almost compartmentalize friends in one area and relationship with Jesus in another. But I want to challenge that way of thinking tonight. So I want you to think about something for me. Think about the creation of the world, from nothing to everything. 
God spoke everything we know into existence. The whole first chapter of Genesis is God creating things left and right, and he's calling them good. He created light, and he said that it was good. He created the land and the seas, and he said that it was good. He created crops and plants to grow food, and he said that it was good. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, the fish, the livestock, the wild animals, and he said that it was good. And then God created Adam, the first human, and we get stopped in our tracks. Genesis 2.18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. We're sort of like head bobbing to this rhythmic like poem that's going on. Like it was good, it was good, it was good. But then we came to this crashing halt. It was not good. And I think that intense stop was intentional so that we actually pay attention to what was said. It was not good that you are alone. We were made to be with people. And for some of us in here, that statement does not scare us at all. We're extroverts, we hate being alone, and we love being around people. Whenever people talk about the importance of community and sermons, we're all in, we got that. And we crave deep and meaningful relationships, but maybe we don't always know how to create them. Others of us think that being around people is fine to an extent. We don't necessarily want to be alone, but we're not going to go out of our way to like be friends with people. We want to keep some parts of our lives to ourselves and hidden from the people around us. Like we don't want deep friendships, but we're cool with seeing each other at like Chi Alpha and church and maybe small group. But anything outside of that is a bit much. And so there's other of us that, if we're honest, we don't really like being around people. We prefer to do life alone, maybe even isolate ourselves from people. And this idea of being made for people is really not your cup of tea. Maybe it even scares you or stresses you out. You come to service and maybe small group, but you really don't feel like the friends that you're sitting next to are your real friends. And it's so easy to buy into this lie that we can do life by ourselves. But God did not design us to do life alone. He designed us with a deep longing for friendship, real friendship. And in the world we live in, it is, there is a desperate need for true friendship and community. We're suffering an epidemic of loneliness. Even before the global pandemic happened, social isolation was already a thing. 50% of Americans reported being lonely. And one study I found that Gen Z specifically sometimes or always feels lonely, 73% of the time. Somehow, our generation is at once the most connected, but also the loneliest generation in the world. Loneliness in young adults is one of the major factors for people struggling with depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. And then as we struggle with mental illness, we're more prone to isolate ourselves, which leads to more mental illness, and it's just a cycle that leads to nowhere good. And all these statistics point to the truth of God's words in Genesis. It is not good for you to be alone. Every person on earth will struggle with feelings of loneliness at some point in our lives. And we live in a day and age where real, meaningful relationships are steadily becoming few and far between. But we are designed for relationships. And David and Jonathan believed just that. So let's look back at our text at verses 1 through 4 of Samuel 18. In the first sentence, it says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. This was a deep, committed love for his friend. When it says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David, um, or as other translations might say, knit together with him, this is a Hebrew word here used, and I'm going to butcher it, kashar. I didn't put it on the screen so that you didn't judge me with how badly I'm pronouncing it. But essentially, this just means to be bound with for the sake of an agreement for something. 
In other words, these men were making a covenant of friendship or a commitment to each other. Jonathan solidified that covenant by taking off his robe and his royal attire and his weapons and giving them to David. He showed David that no matter what, he's committed to a relationship with him. This is the first thing that we see within their friendship is that real friends commit to each other. Even when it's not easy or convenient for us, we commit to people. And we commit to someone and love them as ourselves. We care about them deeply. We want to be intentional about being in one another's lives. Commitment and friendship looks like not giving up when things get hard. I'm sure it was not easy for David and Jonathan to be friends. By blood, Jonathan was next in line to be king. But David had been anointed and chosen by God to be the next king. That doesn't make being friends super easy, but they committed to each other anyway. Friends that are committed to each other don't give up on one another when they hurt us. I know that I've probably hurt my fair share of friends over the years, and I'm sure many times, but so many of them have fought for my friendship with them, even when it probably wasn't easy. And I think about Jesus doing the same thing. How many times have we hurt him and done things that should have made it easy for him to leave us and not to love us, but he remained committed to us, and we can have that same kind of commitment for our friends. Real friends also commit to being together. They commit to being with each other, making one another priority, and commit to having fun together. I can think of so many friends who have shown me what commitment looks like throughout my years of experiencing real friendship with people. And so many people who have been really intentional with me, who have gone out of their way to prioritize me, and who have helped me experience fun in my friendships, and people who haven't given up on me when they easily could have. One of the friends that I think about is my dear friend Katie. Um, some of you may know Katie, she goes to Scent and she was on staff with us a couple of years ago, but we have been friends for a long time and thankfully got to work together for a couple of years. But during that time that she worked for Kyalpha, uh, we got into a little bit of a fender bender. Um, and by we, I mean me with her car. Um, <laughs> so it was the morning after a snowstorm and the roads were like a nice icy finish. And we were headed to Derek's house for a staff meeting. And at the time, Katie and I were neighbors and so we were like following the same route. Um, and we were going like a nice 10 miles an hour. I would love to say less than that, but I don't actually know. But this road was slick. And apparently, I did not take into consideration that turning on this road would be difficult. Um, Katie tried to turn onto Derek Street, and her car did not listen to her directions. And she began to kind of like slide sideways. Um, and I, not paying attention to how close I must have been following her, slammed right into Katie. Um, my brakes didn't work at that point because I was like this close to her. That's not going to work. Um, and if I were her, I would have been livid. Clearly, I saw that the roads were icy. Clearly, I should not have been following her as closely as I was. And clearly, I should have slowed down a lot sooner than I did before running into her. She could have made the choice right then and there to never talk to me again. And I would have been like, yeah, valid. Makes sense. Or worse, she could have said that she was fine and then let her anger and like just hurt her and make her never actually want to be my friend, but like pretend like everything was okay because that seems actually much worse, like friends secretly hating you. That sounds awful. And Katie chose to forgive me for some reason. She chose to love me and not hold my mistakes against me. She chose to commit to being friends with me even when I did something stupid that could have cost her a lot of money. Side note, that accident actually ended up totaling my car and there was just like a scratch on her like tank of a vehicle. Um, so that worked out well. Um, for her. But Katie was committed to our friendship, even when it maybe wasn't easy. Being committed is an active choice that we get to make with one another. 
we get to make a promise to that person that we're going to be there for them. Okay, this might sound weird, but I actually think that we should be vocal about the covenant of friendship that we want to make with people. Like actually tell one another how much we love each other and how much we want to care for them and the commitment we want to make to them. Jonathan did just that. And he reaffirmed his commitment later in 1 Samuel 20 when he said to David, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. We can promise ourselves to our friends. Not only will it give them reassurance that we're gonna stand by them, but it also helps you stand by your commitment to be friends with them. Yes, I was totally unpredictable, but our friendships don't have to be. Making a commitment and showing that commitment to our friends is what real friendship looks like. Justin Early said this in his book, Made for People. To promise friendship is to fight for an island of trust and stability in this ocean of uncertainty called life. To be a friend is to stand together facing all this mess of life and say, instead of letting the future shape our friendship, let's work to make this friendship shape our future. It's an act of faith. And this is why we need more, not less, promising in our friendships. Let your commitment to friendship shape your future. There are two ways practically that I think we can commit to each other. The first one is to commit to being with each other. This looks like spending time with each other, making one another priority. Yes, we're all busy. Yes, we all have stuff going on. But we do have time to spend with one another. We're just not using it. It's really easy to just let time pass us by without noticing that our friendships are going to the wayside and not growing in depth. We need routines and schedules implemented into our lives in order to prioritize our relationships with our friends. Schedule time with your friends. Put it in your calendar. Plan it out. I know it can seem like that might take all the spontaneity out of a friendship, but if we're honest, we're not the best at making decisions to be intentional with people when those moments come to us. Most of us turn any free time we have into just mindlessly scrolling through social media and consuming content. But Jesus designed us to be with people, which means that we have to be intentional with our time and to make people being a part of our routines. When someone is an ongoing part of our schedule, they become an ongoing part of our lives. So making someone a part of your routine could look like having a weekly coffee or lunch with them or maybe a weekly call or check-in. Maybe it's a every other week game night or morning walk. Maybe even just like a monthly Monday night dinner. Scheduling reoccurring time with our friends helps us to say no to the things that might seem urgent or the things that come up and yes to the things that we know are important. Just cultivating a life of friendship. Having scheduled time together doesn't have to take the fun out of things either. Planning the time does not take away the ability to make memories with one another. You can do fun things together. Go on adventures, drive out to a random field and do something there. Eat a pint of ice cream on the roof. Go blow stuff up. I don't care. Not here. Don't do that anywhere near campus. That is bad. But like go blow stuff up somewhere. I don't, make memories. Do something fun. Be a little crazy. Not too crazy. Not crazy enough to get in trouble. Just crazy enough to remember it for the rest of your life. The second thing we can commit to is commit to pushing each other closer to Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus on our own. There's so many things begging for our attention and affection, and we need to push each other closer to Jesus to do the same. We see Jonathan do this in 1 Samuel 23. It says, Jonathan went to David and helped him find strength in God. If we want to keep growing in our relationships with Jesus and grow deeper in our faith, we need godly friends who can encourage us and pray for us and challenge us and cry with us we need to fill that need for others as well. We can center our relationships on Jesus and push one another closer to him by spending time talking about what God is doing in our lives. If God is speaking to you about something, share it. If he's convicting you of something, share it. 
When your friends are hurting or confused, point them to Jesus by encouraging them and sharing wisdom from scripture. Pray for them and with them. Be friends who remind one another who Jesus is and the power that he holds. Real friends commit to each other, to spending time together and pointing each other to Jesus. But David and Jonathan's relationship doesn't stop there. So not too long after David was welcomed into the king's family, King Saul began to turn on him. Like I mentioned before, David had been anointed to be Israel's next king. And after defeating Goliath and winning the more battles over the Philistines, Saul saw David as a threat. He saw David's popularity among the people of the nation and began plotting to get rid of him, if you know what I mean. David quickly figured this out because one time when he's playing his little lyre, which is like a little tiny harp, for King Saul, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear. He was not being, like, shy about his desire to want to kill him. Luckily, David escaped from that. But when David talked to Jonathan about his dad's intentions to kill him, Jonathan was devastated that his dad would do that. He wanted to ensure David's safety, and so he came up with this plan to figure out Saul's intentions. And while doing so, he put his own life in danger for David. When David was missing from this, like, big feast that they were having, Jonathan stands in the gap for David and defends his absence to see how Saul would respond. We read this in 1 Samuel 20, starting in verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, just David, to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. And on that day of the, the second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. When Saul was, I assume, yelling at Jonathan, he tried to pierce Jonathan in two ways. First, physically with his spear, he tried to throw at him. But he also tried to pierce him with his words. He reminded Jonathan that if David became king, Jonathan would never be king. Jonathan knew this, though. Jonathan knew that David was anointed by God to become king and was willing to sacrifice the throne to David out of not only love for David, but also love for God. By defending David's absence, Jonathan was willingly standing up for him and putting his own life in danger in order to save David's. Jonathan was willing to sacrifice it all for his friend. Real friends sacrifice each other, for each other. Not, don't sacrifice each other. Sacrifice for each other. <laughs> Our friendships with others should never be about what we can get from the other person. But if we aren't intentional about what we're putting into our friendships, that's ultimately what we can become. Friendship requires sacrifice. It's one of the reasons why our generation continues to isolate ourselves is because we're not willing to put in the hard work when we don't see the rewards of something. Friends sacrifice time for each other, even when it's inconvenient or we wish we were doing something else. They're willing to lay aside their desires for the needs of other people, and they're willing to let their lives be interrupted. Friends sacrifice for one another. By being friends with David, Jonathan sacrificed his heir to the throne. 1 Samuel 23 says this, You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Jonathan knows that David is going to be king over Israel and that he would only come second to David. Jonathan trusted in who God had called him to be, and he trusted in who God had called David to be. He didn't give in to this comparison or competition with David. He had confidence in their friendship and, unlike Saul, didn't feel a need to be threatened by David's calling. 
that's what happens in real friendship. There's no need to compare ourselves to one another because we know that our identities are in Jesus, not in how we compare to the people standing next to us. Friends also sacrifice their comfort zones for each other. I'm sure Jonathan was like way out of his comfort zone by putting himself in a position to be killed by his dad. Could be wrong. Doesn't sound too comfortable to me. But friends push past surface level conversations with people. They push past the, um, the desire to withhold things from with one another. They are real with one another. Real friendship requires sacrifice, doing things that are in the other person's best interest, which is so countercultural. We've been told that we need to do whatever is in our best interest or that if something or someone doesn't serve us, to let it go. But Jesus' example is so far from this. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If Jesus can give up his life for us, then we can sacrifice for our friends. If you didn't know, I, as well as the, as well as the rest of the Kyle team, are all missionaries to the campus, which essentially just means that um, we're dependent on financial support of churches and family and friends in order to raise our salary each month. And in order to raise that salary, I get to reach out to practically everyone I know and just share my heart with them about reaching college students at UNI with the intention of asking if they want to partner with me to see that happen. And we have tons of people who support us in God's calling to reach the campus, and I'm so thankful for each of them. But there are a few friends who stand out to me when I think about all the people who support us to make this happen. It's the people who have recently graduated, are paying off college debt, who have recently become financially responsible for everything in their lives because they got picked off their parents' insurance. In other words, the young and the broke. Yet they still choose to support us. They sacrifice money and the ability to spend it on whatever they want to support John and I to see college students come to know Jesus through opportunities that we have here. And one of our friends even sacrificed his Christmas bonus a few years ago and instead gave it towards supporting us in Chi Alpha. These friends show me what real friendship looks like through literally supporting us every single month I get to see what sacrifice looks like. Sacrificing for our friends is one of the best ways that we can reflect Jesus to other people. It's much easier to focus on our own needs or wants or even just lack awareness about what other people need. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we have a call to live our lives in a way that follows Jesus' example. We need to ask ourselves, if Jesus could lay down his life for us, what part of my life can I lay down for others? We can practically lay our lives down or sacrifice for each other in so many ways, but here are just a few. First, we can sacrifice time for each other. When we maybe rather would want to be watching the newest episode of Love is Blind, I don't know, we can give up that time and ask a friend to go do something with us or check in on someone that we might know is having a hard time. It could also look like sacrificing time, maybe working on homework to go to small group. Missing a night of small group might not feel like that big of a deal, but when you're gone, people miss you. It's like a family dinner. You know, when one person is gone, like, you notice. It feels different. You add value to your group. Maybe you have something to add that night that somebody else needs to hear, or maybe you're going to share a struggle that somebody else is struggling with too, but they were just too scared to say it first. You being there is important. We can sacrifice what might be convenient to us to make being with one another a priority. The second thing is that we can sacrifice for each other by laying down our need to compete or outdo one another. Practically, this looks like celebrating each other and rooting each other on even when we are in the places that we want to be. So if you're single and your friend gets engaged, celebrate with them. If your degree is going to take you four years and your friend gets to graduate in three, be excited for them. If your friend gets their dream job and you're stuck working at the Rialto, like, congratulate them. 
Our identities are not placed in the things that we do and the accomplishments that we have. As believers, our identities are who Jesus calls us to be. Our lives will look different than our friends, but that doesn't mean that we can't give into, that doesn't mean that we have to give into the world of comparison that we live in. And we can stand firm in who Jesus has called us specifically to be. The last thing is that we can sacrifice by sacrificing our comfort zones. Real friends don't just stay on the surface with one another. We need to fight the desire to stay surface level with people. Share your feelings. Be real with one another. If something is going on in your life, talk about it. Confess sins with your friends. Don't let those things stay hidden. You can find freedom from strongholds in your life when you bring them out to the open. But the only way that we can do that is by getting out of our comfort zones. Real friends sacrifice for each other. We have to recognize that we cannot do this life on our own. We weren't made to. God has designed us for friendship, to be with one another and to do what we can to reflect him to one another. He desires for us to step into real friendship with those around us because we were made for people. The main idea tonight is this. Real friends are for each other. I want to close tonight by asking you this question. What do you want your friendships to look like? What do you actually long for? What are you looking for in friendships? Do you want to just have friends who hang out because it's convenient? Or do you want friendships with people who are intentional with you? Do you want to have friends who lack depth and are okay sitting on the surface? Or do you want to have friendships with others who know all the nitty-gritty, messy pieces of your heart and choose to love you anyway? What kind of friend do you want to be for someone else? Some of us may be scared of making this kind of friendship because you've been hurt in the past by broken promises from people who have left you. There are tons of people in this room who want to be the friend for you that you didn't have, who commits to loving you even when stuff gets hard. I can't promise you they won't hurt you, but what I do know is that choosing to have real friendships with others will help you see Jesus and experience his love in a way that you maybe never have. Others of you are so crippled by loneliness, and this call to friendship is great in theory, but when you go home, these deep feelings of loneliness sink in. You believe this lie that no one cares about you and no one could ever really love you if they actually knew what was going on in your life. But that's not true. People care about you deeply. People in this room want to get to know you and pursue authentic relationship with you, but you have to let them in. On the other hand, think about what kind of friend you could be to someone. There are people all around you who need someone exactly like you. You could be the biggest blessing in their life and could push them closer to Jesus. You could be the person that helps them know Jesus more. Maybe you're just one step ahead in this journey. You can help them take their next step. There is only one friend like you, and it's you. Do you want real friendships? They're available to you, but you need to be able to be in people's lives. Be the people in others' lives who are going to be for you, who are going to be for each other, and be there for one another. The reason we should be real friends, friends who are for each other, is because that's who Jesus is to us. Jesus' story is the ultimate story of real friendship. And that's exactly how Jesus himself describes it. In John 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
Jesus has called us friends. Jesus has chosen you. Jesus, the one who has existed for all of eternity and who is in constant community with the Father and the Holy Spirit, left to be with us. He lived on earth setting examples of what it could look like to truly love other people and lay our lives down and never sinned once, yet he took the punishment of sin. And that punishment is eternal isolation and loneliness from him. But by death on a cross, he took it so that we could become known to him and have real relationship with our Father. And this gift of salvation from Jesus is so beautiful because not only does Jesus show us real friendship, but what he's offering us is eternal friendship with him. When, the disciples said to, when he said to the disciples, I have called you friends, that is the gospel. The gospel is not just reflective of friendship. The gospel is friendship. Jesus knows you fully, all the things that we've done, all the things that we've done to hurt him, all the messes that we've made, and he loves you anyway. Jesus sees through all the insecurities and the fears and the feelings of inadequacies and looks at you and says, I have called you friend. He commits to loving you no matter how you've treated him, and he has already sacrificed everything for you. Jesus is for you. Jesus is friendship made flesh. Friendship with Jesus is the only way that we can have real friendships with one another. Friendship that commits to each other like Jesus has chosen to commit to us. Friendship that sacrifices one another like Jesus has given to all of us. Friendship that is for one another just as Jesus is for us. I believe that we can foster this real commitment to one another. The friends that stand by one another when things get tough. Friends that are intentional with one another and who prioritize time together. We can be friends who love to be together and who make memories together and spend time together. Friends who constantly point one another to Jesus and remind one another who Jesus is and encourages each other to commit to Jesus even when following him is hard. We can be the friends who sacrifice our lives for one another. Friends who are willing to give up time for each other, who know one another's, know one another come before our own desires. We can be the people who don't give in to the temptation to compare ourselves to our friends because we know that God has made each of us uniquely for his purpose. And we can sacrifice our comfort zones and dive into being fully known by one another so that we can love each other as Christ loves us. If we commit to pursuing real, authentic friendships and making the people around us a priority in our lives, not only will we see personal growth in our own relationships with Jesus, but we'll see growth in each other as well. We get to play a role in seeing one another run faster and faster after Jesus. Not only that, but I believe that if we commit to pursuing friendships within this community, God is gonna use this community to change the campus of you and I. If we commit to each other instead of giving up, people will notice. If we let our lives down for one another, instead of doing things that only benefit us, people will notice. Others will begin to see this unconditional love that happens between us when we remove our masks and are fully known by the people around us, yet are still so loved. Our friendships with one another can be our greatest witness to others who don't yet know Jesus. If we are all in and dedicate ourselves to being for each other, the kingdom of God will grow. If you guys would stand with me, there's a few ways that I think that the Lord is asking us to respond tonight. Earlier, when I was sharing about what Jesus did for us on the cross and laying his life down for us and offering real friendship for us, and you thought to yourself that I don't have a friendship with Jesus. I don't know him, but I want to. I want to give you the chance to start that friendship with him. 
Scripture says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and put your trust in him. He will forgive you and cleanse you and bring you new life. So if that's you, I just want to begin to offer you this walk in friendship with God. So if you want to give your life to Jesus, as everyone bows their head and close their eyes, if you want to walk with him and be friends with him, I'm just going to ask that you would just do this simple gesture of raising up your hand on the count of three. And this is just a simple way to signify to the Lord that you're ready for relationship and true friendship with him. Jesus, thank you so much for the life that you laid down to become friends with us, God. We love you so dearly, Lord, and we just thank you so much for the sacrifice to be able to walk in relationship with you. And even when we're messed up, even when we've done things that hurt you, being so consistent to pursue us and to love us, Lord. We thank you so much for just showing us what true and authentic friendship looks like. And we thank you for our new brothers and sisters who get to walk in friendship with you as well, God. The second way to respond is for all of us who are already followers of Jesus and are ready to make this commitment to pursuing real relationship starting tonight. I wanna challenge us to commit to building relationships with the people in this room and commit to being truly the friend that others need and the friend that Jesus has called us to be. And if we make this commitment to be here for one another and to lay our lives down for one another, we can represent Jesus to those by the way that we love one another. So if you want to commit to friendship and to being fully known and knowing others, we just put both your hands out like this. It's just a simple signal to Jesus that I'm ready for you to just take everything I have. I'm ready to be used by you to be the friend that you're asking me to be and willing to accept the friends that you have for me. Jesus, we know that there is so much more in store for us than the surface level relationships that we've had, God, the, the willingness that we've been okay to just stay behind these barriers in our lives, Lord. We want real friends. We wanna be able to reflect you and your life and the love that you have for one another, God. Jesus, I just pray for this group that as we commit to having real friendships with one another, God, we would commit to just pursuing you with everything that we have. We would commit to showing the people around us how good you are and the love that you have for each and every single one of us, God. And I just pray that you would help us to commit to one another even when it's hard, even when we want to give up, God, and to sacrifice for one another, even when we don't feel like we have anything left to give. Jesus, would you give us strength to do that? We thank you so much for designing us to be with people designing us to love one another and to lay our lives down for one another, to grow in relationship with you, God. Love you so much, Jesus, and are so thankful for this call to friendship.